De la patrulla de Minos de California. Weather headlines for today, yes. Welcome to the Revenue Generator Podcast, an I Hear Everything production. In this podcast, you'll hear how industry leaders integrate sales, marketing, product, and customer success into a single business unit with a common goal of optimizing their revenue cycle. We'll unearth how innovators integrate data, technology, people, and processes to expedite demand generation and increase recurring revenue. Sit back, tune in, and get ready to meet a member of the Revenue Generation. Here's the host of the Revenue Generator podcast, the CMO of Lean Data, Doug Bell. Welcome to the Revenue Generator podcast, where we members of the Revenue Generation share solutions for how you can integrate your business to optimize revenue. I'm your host, Doug Bell, and today we're going to be talking about what buyers trust and what they don't. Joining us is Melissa Kwan, who's the co-founder and CEO at eWebinar, which is the leading webinar automation platform that saves people from doing the same webinar over and over again for things like sales demos, onboarding, and training by combining video with live chat and pre-programmed interactions. And today, Melissa and I are going to be talking about the B2B buying disconnect. Okay, here's my conversation with Melissa Kwan, the co-founder and CEO at eWebinar. Melissa, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Well, it's great to have you. I will tell you folks that Melissa, as I do with all our guests, we chat a little bit before we jump on the show. And Melissa is calling in from Bali. I'm calling in from Northern California. And I will tell you, there's a huge disparity in the weather she's enjoying versus what I'm enjoying. Melissa, thanks for joining us at the wee hours of the morning. Interesting topic. And I feel like it's something that I circle on quite a bit with guests here. And really, that's the disconnect that's happening in B2B selling and with sellers. And I think it's really hard to argue that most B2B go-to-market teams struggle to make the right move for the right moment during the buyer's journey. You only need to look at SDRs following up on a white paper download as an example. What are you seeing out there, Melissa? I mean, the disconnect that I see every single day, actually, on, on most SaaS websites that I go to is as sellers, we want to gate our information, right? We don't want to give our buyers or prospects anything unless they fill in a form or make a request. We hide our pricing, which you know SaaS companies love to do. But if you flip that around and we're, when we are the buyer, when we're the consumer, which all of us are, right? Even if you're a seller, you're still a buyer. We want all the information up front. We want to do all of our own research. We want to compare to competitors. We want to know your pricing. We want to ask our friends. We want to know their experience. So there's a major disconnect in how buyers don't want to give information or how sellers don't want to give information and how buyers want all the information up front. But I actually think that there's a huge opportunity for companies that understand this disconnect to better align their strategy with what consumers want the most, which is information transparency. I'm curious because I feel like more often than not, we kind of hedge around the edges of the cause. We complain about it. We talk about it as buyers. We talk about inefficiencies as sellers. But I will tell you, it continues to happen. And as much as we talk about it, I'm really curious, in your opinion, what is it that's causing organizations to just stay with these tried and true methodologies? Actually, I should say tried methodologies that aren't working. And you mentioned, as an example, gating content that likely shouldn't be gated. I mentioned a moment ago, following up with buyers when they're really not ready to connect with sellers. What do you think is causing this? Why do you think there's atrophy in terms of the approach? 
I mean, I think for a long time, companies, especially larger companies, have valued the quantity of leads over the quality of leads, right? These are companies that probably have big sales teams, raised a ton of money, or have a lot of money to hire sales teams. And their sales teams and marketing teams are, I guess their success is based on the number of leads that they bring in. So that's kind of the trend that it's just something that has always been the case. I think that's one. But I also think there's a lot of fear around like, what if people know what I'm charging, right? What if my competitors know what my features are? Or, you know, what if they try to copy me? You know, and that's a little bit bogus, I, I guess, at this day and age, because information's everywhere, right? Like your, your competitors already know what you're doing and already know what you're charging. Just like you know what they're charging and what they're doing and what their features are and why their customers are staying or, or switching, right? So I think in this age of just, you know, where information is everywhere, it's better for you to control the narrative, right, than to hide it, I guess, from people who are, who are trying to find out more. Okay, so it makes sense. We're measuring the wrong stuff. You mentioned leads, volume of leads. You talked about really feeding the wrong stuff to sellers. In this case, leads, lots of leads. And then we talked about really this idea that competition is somehow going to gather information they likely already have and to use it against the sellers. In other words, the lack of transparency is driven by a fear or concern about competitors ultimately outmaneuvering them, so to speak. And I would say that you know the numbers would prove you out over time. Quite a few organizations will tell you that their funnel efficiencies have been declining, that lead conversion rates are going down. Uh, I've worked with organizations that have studies that would tell you this overall. I don't think anybody listening in today would argue. I think maybe let's talk a little bit about whether steps organizations can take to first recognize they have this problem, and then what are some of the steps that they can take to start sort of building their way out of the challenge? So how do folks recognize this? If, if they're listening in right now, they're, they're going, oh, I don't have a problem with that. My white paper downloads converted 1.2%. How to help them kind of navigate that? Yeah, I mean, I think that's an interesting question because I've, with all of my companies, I've started with 100% transparency. <laughs> so I've actually never lived through the problem of like needing to recognize that problem. But I would imagine if you have a lot of people that don't show up for their demos, right? They request someone's there, but your prospect doesn't show up, right? It just means that you're not catching them. Like when they requested for your demo, they were like at their highest moment of intent. But when you wanted to schedule with them, I mean, that, that motivation was maybe died down a bit, right? So I would say like anyone who's experiencing people not showing up for their demos and frustrating their sales team, wasting time, like that's probably a good indication. Maybe your prospect's coming through and saying, hey, I don't want to book a demo, just send me a video. Like that's probably another great indication or people emailing you or or going in the quest form and just saying like, how much is this? Like there's a lot of these that like, and then you try to, you know, you try to force them in a meeting. Like I think these would be like the initial indications of like maybe people want to do their own research or there are people that are out there doing their own research and you're not giving them the information that they want. You mentioned this idea of creating as much transparency as possible. I would say there's definitely a fear factor right on some level. And I, I would agree. I feel like a marketer's job is to feed, and I'm going to call them leads, but contacts that can be prospected or followed up on. And as long as that engine and machine is going, you can have SDRs on board because they've been on stuff and they're going to 
continue to follow up and people are going to look at the numbers and they're going to say, we just need more and more of that stuff. Efficiencies go down. You have the point of diminishing returns when you take your first demo ultimately in that scenario. So I agree. I think let's recognize some of the challenges that are out there. I would add, if I can, you know, look at those efficiency metrics, especially towards the bottom of the funnel. My favorite thing to do is to take a look at your revenue per demo as an example over time, or take a look at other kind of favorite conversion rates. Mid-funnel conversion rates really can be very helpful as well. In other words, how are things looking before people get to that point that they raise their hand and ask for demos? So if we're in this place where we're recognizing some of those challenges, you mentioned before, though, that transparency in and of itself is the virtue, right? Transparency is what we're all trying to get to. It's the shining city on the hill, so to speak. How do you get there? Is it just as simple as saying, you know what, I'm, I'm going to stop gating everything, <laughs> right? I'm going to completely change my approach. Or you would you recommend some sort of, again, I've recognized this point of a problem. Would you recommend some iterative approach to sort of testing this? Or would you just say, hey, guys, guess what? It's time to just rip off the bandit. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important to recognize why we need transparency. It's not like, hey, let's just put all our information out there. It's like, I believe it's because the world today is so consumer driven, right? That becomes part of your brand, right? So why do I believe in transparency, right? Why do I think we should close the gap between the disconnect is because I fully believe that your brand is dependent on people's experience with you, right? Their first impression with you. And giving information transparency means giving your prospects the consumer buying experience that they long for, that they desire. And this is what you want them to tell their friends, to write about, right, in their reviews, right? This is what you want them to remember you for because you are the one that's giving them this experience, not your competitor, right? And that's actually, I think, the danger is if you're not doing this and your competitor is, while someone is waiting for a demo from you next week, your competitor has already given them that information in order to make that decision, right? And that's where I think companies run the danger when they're not putting information out there. But I think it's recognizing the intent of your prospect. Like you brought up a great point, like downloading a white paper, like report is probably not a great reason to like require someone to sign up and then now you're bombarding them with emails, right? So I think recognizing the buying intent like when it's low, maybe it's better for, you know, for an asset just to not be gated so that it's more shareable, so that they're, they're more willing to share with their friends. But when the intent is high, like for a demo, for example, like I personally would not put an ungated demo out there. Like while I know that competitors are going to look at it, I still want to put like an extra level of, of difficulty for them. And that's when I know the intent is high. I don't require people to book a time with me they can still get a demo on demand, you know, through a video or through a webinar. But that is actually one place where I will gate it because the intent is so high and because I still want to create some sort of a moat, right? So I think it's deciding like where the buying intent is high and where it makes sense to gate and where it doesn't. Like anything that you want to be like highly shareable is probably not something that that you want to put, you know, a wall in between. I think that, you know, what's really been interesting is now I'm going to take a step back for a moment and and add a little context to what's going on around us right now. I'm even going to jump back into a little bit of recent history, which is the most recent big recession we had. The Beige Book would tell you that we're not quite a recession yet. If you're in B2B SaaS or in the tech world, we're definitely in recession. So it certainly depends on where you're listening in from in terms of your worldview. But would say for B2B SaaS and for tech, we're definitely in, in a recession place. And this goes all the way back to the Great Recession. And 
you know, there was a point where there was a saturation of restaurants. And when the recession hit, blew out a bunch of restaurants out of the water. But you ended up having all these people that were out of work and they started this whole thing called carts, food carts, which led to this whole kind of explosion of amazing culinary access for folks that otherwise wouldn't have had it. I can get an amazing whatever from a food truck that I had to go to a restaurant for. And my point here really is that sometimes crisis can help drive organizations towards doing better stuff or kind of recognizing where there are challenges. And I wouldn't mind if you would comment on this idea that potentially we have this opportunity with the recession to say, as you pointed out, we're tracking the wrong metrics, right? We're not tracking the metrics that matter, firstly. And secondly, we've created a lot of cost around following up on these things. And then finally, we have this, I don't know, we have this analog to look to on some level or exam, example to look to, which is consumer marketers, right? Who, you know, frankly, at the end of the day, tend to show us B2B SaaS marketers really how to get things done. So I guess the question here is, do you feel like there's an opportunity for sellers to really take advantage of the upcoming recession, just strip back and get rid of all the unnecessary costs and focus on the wrong measures? I mean, as a bootstrap company, I think you should always be optimizing (laughs) on costs, right? Like, why would you be spending money on hiring people where maybe software or machine can do the thing that the person is doing, right? Like your, the people that you bring on your team should always be, you know, optimized for their best use, right? So I, I think, of course, like a recession is motivation to, to definitely cut back and think, really think about where you can automate and where you really need like human capital. But I honestly believe that every company, regardless of whether you're bootstrapped or, or venture backed, should always be doing that. Like you should always be asking yourself, like, should I be spending, you know, these dollars on on this thing? Well, I have to say, you know, bootstrap folks certainly don't have the luxury of wasting spend, but there are tons of kind of pre-scale, even post-scale organizations out there that have received a lot of funding lately. And I think there's going to be some sort of hard reckoning. I think it's always happening or already happening, but I, I would hope that organizations take advantage of this time and it's a stressful time to really dig in and strip out these things that, you know, at the end of the day are slowing you down. I want to wrap things up a bit here and just talk about where you're seeing sort of the most disconnect. We have sort of talked about various aspects of let's call it your standard funnel. And and folks, please, if you think, you know, lead funnels or contact funnels or RevGen funnels are static and linear, they are not. But for the purposes of this conversation, I just want to pretend they are. And I want to say, really between top and middle and bottom of funnel, where do you typically see the greatest inefficiencies? In other words, those disconnects with buyers. Is there one particular part of the funnel where you're seeing just a lot of mistakes being made you recommend people would focus on? I mean, it's absolutely top of funnel, right? Because these guys are the ones that are earliest in their buying journey, and they're the ones that are going to waste the most time. They're the ones that don't show up. They're the ones that are kind of like, it's like an open house, right? Like I used to be in in real estate tech, so I know a lot about this. It's like, oh, I think I might move. So I'm going to start looking at houses in the area that I want to go to, but I don't want to talk to anybody. Like I'm going to go in and I'm going to say, I'm just looking, right? Like these are your super top of funnel. They're just doing some research. They don't want to talk to a salesperson. But if you make it such that they have to, then you're not just wasting their time. You're wasting your team's time. And taking their time away from focusing on someone who's further down the funnel, who might be ready to talk to a salesperson, right? Who maybe want a one-on-one demo. These are people that want some handholding, right? So that's where I think the greatest optimization can happen is how can I remove 
as much top of the funnel leads, let them qualify themselves either out so they don't even come back or let them qualify themselves in so that maybe I want to put something in front of them. That I think is what I hear like most of my friends talk about is like, how do I make my lead qualification process way more efficient so that my sales team isn't bogged down by people who might never buy from us? So we're measuring the wrong stuff. We're gating the wrong stuff as a result. You're not saying this, but I'm going to say it. As a result, we're spending a lot more money than we should. We're focused on metrics that ultimately keep other people busy. And if we're looking to an example of how to make change, let's look at our consumer brethren or B2C brethren who value transparency. Don't get caught up in whether or not competition is out there looking. They are. They have the information, folks. It's called (laughs) win-loss. Any good organization that's good at following up on why they're winning and why they're losing, we're just going to get that pricing information pretty quickly. I completely agree. And end of the day, if we're going to start somewhere, let's start at the top of funnel. That's where most of the efficiency is really lacking for us. Well, I tell you what, I really want to dig in and talk about how we help these companies solve these problems. But we're out of time today, Melissa. I really appreciate you spending time with me. Thanks so much for having me. Okay, that wraps up this episode of the Revenue Generator Podcast. Thanks to Melissa Kwan, co-founder and CEO at eWebinar for joining us today. In part two of this interview, which we'll publish tomorrow, Melissa and I are going to dig in and talk about how to do 300 demos a month on autopilot. If you can't wait until our next episode, would like to learn more about Melissa, you can find a link to her LinkedIn profile in our show notes, or you can contact her on Twitter where her handle is M-S-S-K-W-A-N or visit her company website at eWebinar.com. Just one link in our show notes I want to tell you about if you didn't have a chance to take notes while listening to this podcast. Head over to redgenpod.com where we have summaries of all of our episodes and contact information for our guests. You can subscribe to our weekly newsletter, apply to be a speaker on the Revenue Generator podcast, or you can even share your revenue generation questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handle is at RevGenPod on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Or you can contact me directly. My handle is Market Advocate. If you haven't subscribed yet and want a daily stream of RevGen strategies in your podcast feed, We're going to publish an episode every day during the work week. So hit that subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed in the next business day. Okay, that's all for today. But until next time, keep cranking because the revenue isn't going to generate itself. 